0: side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro.
1: Alright, I want to start today with a uh, with a story, I guess, that's not really that interesting, but just kind of not interesting to someone like you who's worked in the journalism industry, but maybe it's interesting to people who are listening to this podcast. So last night, I um, you know how often during the game you end up rewriting and like the, the final story you see from a game the final product from that it's what you're reading has probably been rewritten seven to eight times the lead changed nine to ten times throughout the game especially if someone's writing as the game's going on like i typically do fair enough right see i can
0: write a game recap in like 25 minutes and have it still be half decent. So I never really do that unless it's like four to nothing after the second period. Then during second intermission, I'll just write the entire game story.
1: Yeah. I I tend, and the thing is that's what I, I'm in the same boat too. I have, I can, I can turn around a game recap in 20 minutes, but I try to make my life a little bit easier and I write things in and, and I sell Maybe I'm just creating more work for myself by just writing leads and then later deleting them 5 minutes later. I mean, I have gotten to the point, I have gotten to the point of games this year with the Stars where it's been like 2 to 1 or 3 to 1 going into the third, and I've had most I've had my sto- I've decided okay, I'm not going to write my story until the next goal is scored because I know that another goal will be scored by the other team at some point during the third period to tie this game or make it much closer than it needs to be. So, Anywho, the uh, so last night the uh, Stars play Montreal and what was the Ben Bowl and we'll talk a little bit more about that obviously throughout this podcast. Uh, but I was writing a story. Carrie Letton had played well; it was the NHL's second star of the week, and Lettenham played well through the first two periods last night. And, and no way was his was his fault the Stars lost last night, but. During the second intermission last night, I sit down to write a story for uh, WFAA about Kari Lattin and, and making a case where maybe he should be back next season. Not as the starting goalie. I wasn't making that case. But maybe Kari Lattin should be back next season as the backup goalie to a Philip Grubauer and or a uh, Scott Darling. As, as the backup goalie. I want to make that clear. I wasn't saying Kari Lattin should be back as the starting goalie. And I was making the case how he could play couple stretch how he... Could, how he's shown recently, you can string together success, and and of course, the minute I write that story during the second uh, I, I write the shell of that story during the second intermission, and uh, just put some holes in to save to fill in some final updated stats. Stars let up three goals in the third period, uh, you have Lettinen looks kind of foolish on two of the goals, and all of a sudden everything is scrapped, so... And so I never got to write a story on it because.
0: It's like tweeting shutout in the last five minutes of a shutout. And then the goalie giving up a goal and then everyone gets pissed off at you and says, you jinxed it. Why did you do that?
1: Well, okay. Twitter and the other thing. It's Twitter and me writing something. has nothing to do on the impact of the game. I'm not sure. If yes, it does, it.
0: yes, it does, Sean. Yes, it does, Sean. How could you say that karma is real and jinxes are real? Mythical magic and unicorns are real. You drink that coffee. You drink it real good.
1: Jinxes are just as real as mythical magic and unicorns, I guess. So if yeah, you believe you in if you, if you if you believe in those, you can believe that that what I tweet or someone else tweets uh, has an impact on whether the uh, on whether athlete X or Y performs better or worse late in a game.
0: Sorry, I'm distracted. I just saw a picture on Twitter of things that people have tried to bring through security at the Cleveland airport. And among those things was a weed whacker. A (laughs) full-sized weed whacker.
1: Guy works in lawn maintenance? Maybe?
0: I just, I don't know why you would try to bring that through. Like, what what could you possibly, were you going to like a, a lawn care convention or something and you're like, eh, this weed whacker will be a good companion for me. I don't know. I'm just – but I'm going to break down this picture in real time. Actually, I'm not because it's mostly just big-ass flashlights and knives. And, oh, that's a big knife. And a baseball bat and a belt that looks like it has rounds of ammunition in it. A potted plant. Unless that – nope, never mind. That potted plant is part of the room that – never mind. (laughs) But yeah, why? I'm just I'm super confused as to why someone would need to bring a weed whacker on the airplane with them. I this is a question that I desperately need to know the answer to.
1: They should put there where they were attempting to fly. Oh, well, I guess the person still got through airport security, right? The person gets to go through, but they just kept the weed whacker behind, right? I'm
0: guessing. Yeah, that's because I one time when I was like. 10 years old, I was bringing my, I don't remember where we were flying. I suppose the where is irrelevant, but I brought my school backpack with me, and I forgot to take my scissors out. So they're just like, you can't bring this on the airplane, little boy. And I'm like, well, no shit, Sherlock. I know that. I just forgot to take it out of my bag." I actually didn't say that at the age of 10. I'm pretty sure I would have gotten <laughs> slapped. But that was my thought process in my mind was, well, I know that. I just forgot to take it out my bad." So they just take it, and then they're like, well, we can send it back to you if you want. And I'm like, dude, it's a 30-cent pair of scissors. Just throw them away or give them to your child i don't care what you do with them you think but yeah then they let you go through
1: so this guy who came through airport security with his weed whacker and he actually put it on the i'm trying to figure out how far he got on this i wonder if like he put it if he put the weed whacker on the conveyor belt to go through like the x-ray machine and then they're like uh, this is a weed whacker or if he actually got stopped <laughs> or if they actually had to x-ray the weed whacker or if the person you know the person who checks your plane ticket yeah, who, yeah. I, want, I wonder, Or I wonder if that person said to him, um, and he's holding his weed whacker while he's walking up to, to to get his plane ticket checked. I wonder if that person stops him. I wonder how far he got into security before the weed whacker got confiscated. It.
0: Right. It's like, not only is there the question of why is this guy bringing a weed whacker on an airplane, but like how was he trying to bring it through? Did it was it just like strapped over his shoulder like nomad style? And he's just like, whatever, I'm carrying it. Was it in a a case? was it like i there's so many unanswered questions right now and i i need to know and i don't know if i'm ever going to get these answers and it's kind of stressing me out right now to be completely honest i'm going I, to retweet this picture so everyone knows what i'm on what i'm talking about right now
1: i don't think they sell weed whackers that come in like convenient carry-on cases like the foldable like the weed whacker that folds down so you can take it on a plane i don't think i don't think that's on the home shopping network is it <laughs>
0: Well, here you go, Black and Decker and Stanley and whoever else makes weed whackers. Here's a great business opportunity for you: the portable airplane-safe weed whacker.
1: Just get it approved by you know, use, Like, a, I guess if you just make it collapsible and I don't know, if you put a lock on it, maybe. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I'm just like I'm. I'm really curious as to why you wouldn't check that. Like that. That seems like so. It had to have been in person. Because if it was in a case, why wouldn't you just check? Oh, maybe if it was in the case, but he didn't want to pay $50 for his checked bag and it was cheaper for a carry-on. That's the only—maybe th- that would that would make sense. But, yeah, but what, this guy also tried to bring a weed whacker on an airplane, so I'm not sure terms of logic really apply to this argument right now.
1: But a weed whacker would require a long bag, wouldn't it, to get on the airplane? I don't know if that would fit in the carry-on
0: Right, there's no way that would fit. Be a, a carry-on dimensionable thing because you're talking about a weed whacker. Like your standard weed whacker is like three and a half four feet tall, and you there's no like you got that little carry-on bin there, and they're like if it doesn't fit, you must have quit, and they send it back down underneath. So I don't know. I'm really confused. It looks like it's a little longer than the baseball bat that it's next to.
1: Is it a wooden so, baseball bat or a metal baseball no, bat? No, it's,
0: it's an aluminum baseball bat that looks like it's seen some years. Oh, there's a putter right next to it. Holy crap. There's brass knuckles. I'm just noticing new things about this picture. Like, I see these knives, and I'm like, why, why would you even try that? Why do you think, like, a knife that size, you don't bring by mistake in your bag. Like, you're trying to do some shit with that. And this looks like a, I don't even know what that is. Maybe it's a knife with a. Twister handle, I'm not really sure. But what if the same guy just brought all these things? Like the the baseball bat, the putter, and the weed whacker. He's like, well, I'll get one of them through. He's got a golf... He he,
1: he actually has a golf bag that has a putter, a weed whacker, and a Bowie knife in it.
0: At these, he's got to fend against alligators or something. Maybe the weed whacker is how he finds the balls that he shoots off course. Maybe, Maybe he's so bad at golf that he needs to bring a weed whacker with him to find... Yeah the balls that he shoots out of bounds
1: it also sounds like the kind of list of items like the list of items you list not the knife but the the rest of the items kind of sound like you know when you move and you know you know if if you move somewhere where you're moving where it's close enough not to uh that if 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 you leave a couple things at the old place you can go back and get them obviously not for making a cross Mm -hmm. country it sounds like it's like the list of items where it's like well these five things didn't fit on the moving truck so i'm gonna try and move them myself and that includes a couple of random odds and ends from the garage. So I need to, uh, making this move from Cleveland to who knows where I need to make sure I can get my weed whacker on the plate. Cause I really don't want to buy a new one. I'm
0: just, I'm appalled. People appall me. This is, I don't know. I have no more words. I'm just, I'm staring at this weed whacker as if it holds some sort of mythical answers to the universe. Anyway, hockey.
1: Hockey, hockey, yeah. So last night was the uh, Tuesday. Pushed this back to Wednesday so we could talk about it a little bit more. Um, Tuesday was the uh, Ben Bowl 2017, I guess you could call it. Jamie Ben versus Jordy Ben for the first time uh, in their careers. And uh, Jordy Ben and the Montreal Canadiens got the better of the Dallas Stars and Jamie Ben 4-1. to one. And the... Uh, I have questions and theories that I need to ask. That I need to ask this question to Jamie Ben once the team gets back from their five-game road trip, because I wonder if he's intentionally. Because it seems, because Jamie Ben's beard. So we all know Jordy Benn's beard his red, big, fluffy beard that is. Uh, that was arguably the best is arguably the best beard in the NHL since it's actually well maintained. Patrick Eaves has a great beard, but it's not maintained. Geordie Ben actually has a well-maintained beard. Uh, Jamie Ben, since the trade, has grown this black goatee thing that has kind of, seemingly, kind of turned into a beard. And I've always wondered if, in his head, that's unofficially like an in memoriam to his brother. But but he can't re- grow a red beard.
0: Important questions that we need answers to. Well, we're just we're all about questions without answers today.
1: I mean, these are the types of important questions you ask two days after a team has officially been eliminated from the playoffs.
0: That's true. I mean, if we're be, you're you got stuff to write about still, and you can't really talk. I mean, you can talk about hockey, but everyone at this point is like, "Who cares? This means nothing. This is completely meaningless. Like life." Yeah. What is the meaning of life?
1: That's a question. That's a uh, that's a long-winded uh, debate, probably that we're probably not going go to go get into. Um,
0: right, we already talked about weed whackers today, so I think we should just have one. We should just leave one philosophical debate per episode. Yeah, yeah. We should try. Right we should now, try it,
1: and limit our tangents. It, it's not a
0: tangent, Sean. These are important questions. I really, I need to know what would possess someone to bring a weed
1: whacker on an airplane. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, back to Dallas versus Montreal. Um, the game that when I opened the podcast, we were talking about. That was the game where the uh, I had written something at the second during the second intermission about uh, Kari Carletonin, and then obviously I described it all because of the third period. The uh, if you haven't watched Montreal since the trade and you're a Stars fan, and you got to see a little bit, and you watched last night, you kind of saw the role and the success that Jordy Ben has thrived in. Um, with Montreal, because it's a it's a more defensive first system, obviously, and it's a uh, and he's Jordy Ben is a very good second or third pairing defenseman, and but he's not a guy who is who's, he's not a guy who needs to be in a running gun system. And went to Montreal, plays in a defensive first system. Obviously, having Carey Price behind you never hurts, but he can play that simple system and he can play that simple game, and it's a game that. I think was never really appreciated in Dallas because he wasn't playing in a system that fit him best. Um, also in Montreal, he no longer has people yelling at him or not yelling at him, I guess yelling at the media and yelling on Twitter that he's only there because Jamie Ben required the team to sign him. I mean, they've reached the point in Montreal where there it's become a real debate. And I don't know if this is actually something that's in upper management for hockey, uh, they're upper management for the, for the Canadians. Um, But a real debate in the media there is how do they figure out how to protect um, Jordy Ben in the expansion draft because they're all of a sudden very scared of losing him in the expansion draft with what he's done. Um, And that's something where if you hadn't watched Montreal since the trade, you got a taste of that last night because that's the game Jordy Ben's been playing because I've been catching every third Montreal Montreal game or so since the trade. And that's the game he's been playing, and that's the game that... uh, fits him best. And it just gets a combination of he's not better in Montreal than he was in Dallas. He just isn't a better system for him.
0: And he's not being overshadowed by Jamie anymore because like it or not, fair enough. Wait, hold on. Let me formulate how this was going to come out of my mouth, whether it's fair or not. I don't think it's fair to him at all to continue to say that he's on this team because of Jamie, because obviously he's Hmm. established himself as a guy who can play consistent NHL minutes, and I don't think that they would have brought him back this past offseason if they didn't believe that because you're looking at a a situation where you had that logjam on defense and this was a team that entering the season, it's kind of easy to forget now, but this was a team that was entering the season with legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations. So you don't bring a guy like that back just to quote-unquote keep another player happy. You're trying to get the most you can out of your roster. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting talking about this whole expansion draft thing, because that was one of the reasons that Jim Neal gave as to why they traded him in the first Mm -hmm. place. It's become kind of increasingly clear over the last month and a half or so that this really isn't going to be as good of a draft pool for Vegas as it was originally thought that it was going to be, just based on the way that teams are moving and the backroom deals that could potentially be made. Vegas will still make out, I think, decently in the long run if they make the right deals. I mean, you look at a team like Anaheim where they have five really good defensemen. So a couple of a, one or two of them is going to get left unprotected, but they come and look at George McPhee and say, Hey, we'll give you our second round pick in 2018. If you don't take, say Cam Fowler, for example, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that would have been the same thing as it would have been back in the day, because I still don't know if what Simone Dupre's status is going to be going forward. And that was kind of one of the things that kind of helped facilitate Cam Fowler staying in Anaheim. But you look at a guy like Jordy Bennett, you mentioned he's a perfect five, six, seven defenseman. And for what could be a young team in Vegas next year, he's the perfect guy to add to your blue line because he's a guy that you can play on the second pairing. He's a guy you can play on the third pairing. Or if your defense is deep enough, he's a guy that can be your flex seventh guy who mm-hmm. plays every other game, every third game, and can play 15, 16, 17, up to 20 minutes a night and be successful. So, I mean, I mean, there's a that's the type of player that I think any contender would love to have because he has a, it's, I mean, we talked about this in past podcasts, how about the important importance of young players in today's NHL because of their contract status and how the, to kind of fill out a team with the type of roster that you'd want to make a deep playoff run. You need cheap players like that. And what's Jordy <laughs> Ben making this year, like 1.1 against the cap or something like that, only having only... an experienced player is it even 1.1?
1: Jordy's got a... Before this year, he signed a three-year, one-per deal. So it's a three-year, 3 mil deal. It's only a one-per one. Per yeah. one so
0: Yeah, and if you look at a guy like him versus a young defender you bring up on an entry-level contract, depending on... I mean, that's barely above what your standard salary on an entry-level contract is going to be. Plus, mm-hmm. if you factor in performance bonuses and stuff like that, that's when things can get really hairy. So, for example, you look at a guy like... Connor McDavid, who's making like the maximum nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars that mm-hmm. he can in base salary against the cap, that ends up being like three million dollars once bonuses yeah. are factored into it. A guy like Jordy Ben, I don't think his deal is very bonus laden at all. So you're looking at a guy who's making one million against the cap. You don't have to worry about bonus overages. You're going to get a steady, consistent game from him every night. And it probably took him being traded to Montreal for people to kind of, for most people. Outside of hockey circles to kind of realize that because for, I mean, I guess obvious reasons and somewhat unfairly, he's kind of intrinsically linked to Jamie Mm -hmm. just based on, I mean, them being brothers, them living together the way Jordy came up through the CHL to make it to the NHL and obviously coincided with Jamie's rise to superstardom.
1: Do you think, I mean, if, if I gave you the formula for Jordy Ben's path to the NHL, if I gave you that formula for any other player, if I was to put and put a different name on it, if it was, say, if you were to put, uh, I don't know, say, it, it's not that case, obviously, but say Dan Hamhuse was just, Dan Hamhuse, just take another name, someone not related to a Ben brother at all, he would have been a fan favorite. He would have been a guy who would have... Oh, hell yeah. He hell yeah. I mean, I know, I know, I know there's some people listening who were Jordy fan, fans already. There were, he, but he wouldn't have been, he would have been a universal fan favorite. He wouldn't have been this divisive player where people are saying he's only here for his brother. But if you were to say, take a player who worked his way up from the CHL, then the ECHL, and, and earned every step of his career, that type of guy becomes a fan favorite. But because of his brother, all of a sudden there's people who, there was this, this, this underlying opinion and there was this, the whispers that, oh, well, he's only here, and not whispers that had any credence, but just fandom whispers that he's only here, and, oh, he only did it because it's 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 Jamie's brother. I mean, he should have been a fan favorite here. He should have been a guy like Antoine Roussel, who was beloved by most of the fan base.
0: Right, yeah, and I mean, Roussel had a very, not, not a very similar career arc, because I feel like there's, you could count on one hand the number of players who are currently playing in the NHL, who played any sort of CHL mm-hmm. games. But Roussel was a similar guy who was undrafted, who was unheralded, and he came in, and I don't remember when he first signed, if it was just an AHL deal or if they signed him to an NHL deal. But he came in, and he worked his way up through Texas and made himself someone that the Stars didn't want to, couldn't afford to send down because of how important of a player he became. Yeah,
1: and Russell, i gotta, I got to double-check this, but I believe... Uh... 'Cause I know he I'm not sure if he got the I'm not sure if he came in and got the NHL deal right away with Dallas, but he was a guy who spent a couple years in Chicago on an AHL only deal with the Chicago Wolves before he ever so either way, he worked his way up through the AHL and on an AHL contract before he ever got NHL contract. So I'd have to check to see whether it was a an immediate AHL deal to Texas or an NHL deal to Dallas. I got I'll have to go back and double check that. But either way, when he, if it wasn't an HL deal, he was signed as a long-term project insurance signing. If anything,
0: so, I think Cap Friendly has a way for me to look at past contracts. Um, here we go. He signed his first entry-level contract before the 2012 season. So yeah, he was on. An AHL deal only up through. It looks so, like so. He
1: was on. He was on.
0: Based on what I can see, so he was see. on
1: an NHL deal his entire time in Dallas. Then because he joined, he so yes,
0: but he was yeah. He was AHL only once he signed out of the yeah. queue. First with Providence and then with yeah. Chicago, or I guess um, yeah, whatever Chicago's. Well, Sh- Chicago, was, Chicago,
1: Chicago Wolves,
0: yeah. Wolves. So that was who the Chicago was Atlanta at the time, um, I want to say.
1: The they Winnipeg. were, they went from, they're, uh, they St. Louis now. They went from, I'm not sure if they were Vancouver at that. They went from uh, Atlanta to Vancouver, then to St. Louis. So I'm not sure when the crossover came over. Uh, I'm not sure when the crossover happened there with, uh, in 2011 12. I think they might, I think they might have been a Vancouver affiliate at that time.
0: All right. Well, I guess that, I mean, whatever. That's, yeah. Irrelevant. But I mean your the point stands is I, yeah, I think anyone would love that player who fought his way up from a second tier professional league. Like that's just like I can't even call the CHL the equivalent of single A baseball because single A is like where you put the guys that you just drafted out mm-hmm. of high school in the forty seventh round who don't aren't smart enough to get into college so you just play them there, down there. There really is no So it's like it's just like a uh, there's no equivalent. Yeah, there's really right? it's basically like beer league that you get paid a hundred bucks a game for. It's, it's, it's
1: like a that. bit higher. It's a bit higher than that, but yes, I mean, it's not, there's no equivalent, like it's uh, the hockey minor league system obviously is very, is, is much different than baseball because of obviously, and you know, this just because of the, obviously the junior system and the CHL rules and the, the Canadian hockey league, not the other, the other CHL rules that require guys to play, uh junior until they're twenty if they don't make an NHL roster. So it's uh
0: Hey, you'll get a kick out of this. Google I Googled Jordy Ben Hockey DB. The uh box that comes up. People also ask, are Jamie and Jordy Ben related? When was Jamie Ben drafted? How many Stanley Cups does Jonathan Taves have?
1: What? (laughs) Okay, Google Okay. I enjoy that somebody I enjoy I always enjoy the uh we live in an era now where people are very are wrong very often on the internet, on Twitter. Um, but sometimes those people who are wrong very often are often the people that try and correct other people all the time. So I do not engage sometimes in this, but sometimes uh, in a tweet, I'll see a someone will respond to my tweet, and then another person will respond to a person that responded to me, and then they'll obviously just continue having a conversation, even though I would like to be untagged from the conversation, and. There was one right after. Um, there was one leading up to this week, leading up to the Canadians and Stars play, and where people were talking about uh, Jordy Ben and Jamie Ben, and somebody tweeted at me, tweeted back at me that about how well now all all, all Jordy needs to do is he needs to convince his older brother to come to uh, his older brother to come to Montreal, and obviously Jordy is the older brother. As he may not be the better hockey player, but he is the older brother, and. All of a sudden, that of course led to the peep them arguing, saying, "Well, he's the young. He's Jordy. Already is the younger brother. You Not this is not me engaging it. These are people engaging, and I seem to be tagged in this, so I keep getting to see this." He says, "Well, Jordy is the Jordy is the older brother, you idiot!" And the other one says, "No, he's not." And then all of a sudden, they go back and forth, and they're arguing over who's the older brother. And uh, eventually, the guy who, eventually, one of them like screen grabs a Google something screen grabs something from Google, and then they start arguing about something else. And all this entire time, I just...
0: This is is the world we live in now where people argue about shit that you can easily verify on the internet. It's like you have preconceived notions, and it's like, hey, before I say this one incredibly stupid thing, I'm not even going to bother verifying Mm -hmm. it. I'm just going to say it. The world would be such a better place if before you spouted something stupid if you checked it first to make sure what you were saying was correct and then you could be like jordy ben's the younger brother google never mind you just saved yourself 25 minutes and a lot of anger speaking of which jordy ben's first team that he played for played for in the bchl was called victoria salsa they were the salsa
1: i'm sure that was a really compelling point i just you just cut out I did? Oh, well, I can hear you now. Luckily, you're recording on your end, so...
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, anyway, Jordy Ben's first team that he played for in the BCHL was the Victoria Salsa. That's awesome. As in, the stuff you dip chips in. That's magnificent. And then, after 2006, he it was the Victoria Grizzlies. I don't know if they just changed their mascot. If someone decided that Salsa was too offensive or just kind of... Like they didn't really know how to make a mascot. They didn't really want to carry a bin of salsa around. So they did something that you could like dress up as. Like you can't dress up as a bin of salsa. I don't know. I guess I'm just this this two things that don't seem to go together is northwest wait, that would technically be southwest Canada. Anyway, that region of the world and salsa don't seem to go together very well. Yeah. And... Like, it'd be one thing if it was in Texas, like that the Amarillo Salsa or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Texarkana Salsa. Mm-hmm. Oh, Texarkana Salsa sounds like an actual brand of salsa. It might be. I don't know. I'm going to start one. I'm going to start that. It might. If it's not, I'm going to start that. It so- it
1: that sounds like one of those, like, local, like, when you go, like, when I go to the grocery store, and they're like, try these local brands, and there's, like, it's the Texarkana Salsa Company. Like... That might actually exist. The, uh, it's, uh, no, Geordie Ben was a good story. I mean, he was, he was with how he worked his way up. And did you see the uh, Canadians? I tweeted the picture, the screenshot of it. Did you see the video the Canadians had about him talking about his brother? And they just, it was the interview and they put a portrait of Jamie in the background.
0: No, I didn't see that. So, let me see if I can find this and show this. Are you suggesting I go look at
1: it? Let's see. The, uh... Because it was... The video is... Is Jamie, uh... Is is Jordy Ben talking about Jamie Ben, and they've got a portrait in the background of Jamie as he's talking about him. And they're asking questions about, um... Did you, uh... How did you... Like, what was it like growing up as a family? And... uh, was it growing up as a family and how did you uh how did you see who was the favorite brother things like that and then at one point the portrait turns into this as the picture i just sent you on your phone where they're asking about about they're asking about jamie now apparently growing a beard and then this is the picture that this is how the picture uh, evolves in the background
0: wait for it <laughs> what is this maybe I did see this I don't because I, I remember seeing something with Jamie having a, a horribly photoshopped beard onto his face oh that's funny that's funny he looks so that does that looks like one of those uh, one of those um, like those Facebook e cards or whatever that they make for the holidays and they're like photoshop a beard on yourself and it's like i look like an idiot he looks so grumpy
1: yeah it's funny uh, let's move on we, we've talked enough about the ben brothers we made enough points there i want to move on to uh yes in addition to the game yesterday a th- thing of note for the stars was patrick sharp finally had his season-ending surgery on tuesday on, on his hip and uh they announced it was officially announced on sunday at the same time it was also uh, announced that the dallas chapter of the Pro hockey writers association had picked patrick sharp as the masterton trophy nominee for his season sharp who had gone through uh had a pair of concussions this year dealt with the hip surgery all year and at the same time his dad's been his, his father has been fighting really bad illness and so it's been a, it's been a tough year for patrick sharp and so his season officially came to an end, to a close on Tuesday. And of course, it was hip surgery, bringing, seeming, just adding to the joke in my mind that the stars clearly bought some sort of group on hip surgeries because they just. It, this is now Hemsky, 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 Klingberg, Dickinson, Ben, um, uh, Val Nechushkin. Curtis McKenzie never had surgery, but McKenzie had hip problems. Um, And now Sharp. I think that's seven now with hip, right? I might be forgetting somebody.
0: Sounds about right. I don't remember any other off the top of my head.
1: It's uh, for Patrick Sharp and and his season coming to an end. The question also becomes, and I don't know, I'll, I'll pose this to you. And and Jim Nil's kinda had a cryptic, somewhat cryptic quote about it, where he said that we haven't talked he isn't we have had some conversations. If he comes back next year, he's he wants to be in Dallas, he thinks he's a Dallas star. Now, the way I read that from Jim Nil is that um, and I could be wrong, and I know Jim Nil prides himself on being hard to read. It's something that he's done in his entire time he's been the GM. He makes it very hard to get a read on what he's actually thinking. However, the way I read into that quote with Patrick Sharp is Patrick Sharp's his career is either over, or he's back with the Dallas Stars for maybe two million. I don't know the exact number, but a very much reduced cap hit next year. Is that something you think? If you when you when you look when you hear that quote, you hear that statement. Is that something you think? Am I wrong here? What What do you think, Ryan?
0: I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I mean. You're looking at a guy who's going to be what thirty six, thirty seven when next year starts. He's a guy who's won three Stanley Cups, probably doesn't have that much more to accomplish in the NHL. Obviously, you just touched on it. He's had a difficult year both on and off the ice this year. I mean, now you add in concussion problems to that. And I mean, what? I mean, the the standard for the hip surgery has been what five, six months. So this, this is a guy who might not even necessarily be ready for the start of next season. So there's probably, I mean, he's not going to have a long list of suitors in the offseason. I mean, I that, that would make sense when you think about it, kind of from that point of view. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I could understand why Sharp would want, I mean, you look at a guy who's 36 still and you're like, hey, he's still got a couple years left in the tank, but given everything, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he hung him up, but it also wouldn't surprise me if you get to a situation where it's August and he still hasn't found a home because no one really wants to sign him if he's not going to be ready for the start of the season, given that he's 36 coming off hip surgery. This, is, yeah, this isn't this is like Jamie Benn coming off of hip surgery where he's physiologically in the prime of his life. This is a guy who's six to eight years past that. So, I mean, it's, it's tough to judge, especially since he's probably not going to be able to start skating until august the earliest I well, and, think. and
1: everyone and with with this hip stuff and i've talked to a bunch of players who have gone through it with uh jason dickinson who was called up recently he went through it jamie ben went through it alish hemsky had it earlier this season so obviously hip surgery is nothing new for the dallas stars and everyone i've talked to about it um has kind of pointed out that it takes a full year to get back to 100 percent. so we're talking about patrick sharp even if even if he is ready for the start of next season, he's not 100% until... Theoretically, he won't be at 100% until this time next year, which that's not a very... And we look at this past season, we don't even know what 100% is for Patrick Sharp anymore. So if unless you're a team like Dallas, you can get him on a cheap deal, maybe, potentially. uh, Maybe a $2 million a year or a Yuri hoodler 1.25 or whatever it is, show-me deal. Other than that, though, I don't see... I don't see any other team taking a bite at Patrick Sharp and trying to sign him just because of why would we bring in this guy when we have to worry about him not reaching full strength until March. And who knows what actually full strength even is anymore.
0: Right, and if you're talking about a team like a place that he would be looking to go next year if he wants to play again, he'd look, he obviously I'm sure would want to go to a team that has a chance to win a Stanley cup. Mm-hmm. And if I'm say Pittsburgh, for example, I don't even know if they'd have the cap room to bring him in on even to a $2 million deal. I don't know why they would want to, because whatever, that's, that's a moot point. But I mean, you're looking at a team like Pittsburgh, if I'm Pittsburgh and I'm looking to bring in a guy like Patrick Sharp for $2 million a year, why would I do that when I know he's not going to be, really able to play much the first half of the year. What am I getting out of that? You're basically sitting there saying, I'm going to sink $2 million in cap space for the first four months of the year and hope that this guy comes around well enough and plays well enough come playoff time to justify mm-hmm. this investment. It's just it's not a smart purchase for a team that may be up against the cap that's looking to acquire a guy that may take them to that next step. I mean, for a team like Dallas, it's fine because – you can I mean you're gonna have a ton of cash space and you can kind of afford to stash him away and wait for him to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And if this team kind of avoids the same type of regression that plagued it this year, I mean that could be a useful play down the stretch for next year. But when you're looking at a team like Pittsburgh or Chicago or the Rangers, it just it wouldn't make sense financially to do that
1: yeah and, and it's not even just getting to 100 percent. it's just it's also a 35 year old takes longer to get back and ready to go then i mean jason dickinson had his surgery jason dickinson's 20 jason dickinson is 21 now or he's yeah he's 20 jason dickinson's either 21 or 22 i'm not sure when his birthday is but he and i have talked about how he's not even at 100 and he had the surgery back in may and we're talking about a little bit over a year for him if it's taking a 21 year old's hip that long to get better Who who knows exactly what a 35-year-old hip that's 15 years older will do?
0: I don't. I mean, I'll probably be able to tell you in three years. But, yeah, it's just physiologically males. And, I mean, it's obviously a little different for someone who's an elite trained athlete. Mm -hmm. But from a physiological standpoint, your body is at its peak sometime between... That's why when you say, you know, NHL players where they're in their prime, that's what it's sort of referring to is at your, what your body is able to produce from a physiological standpoint, you're at your peak sometime around 28 to 29 years old. After that, it's all downhill after that. And it's not, I mean, the rate at which you descend, obviously it varies by person. What that means though, is it's never going to get any better than it would be when when you're in your late 20s.
1: So you're telling me there's and that's, there's,
0: and that's a science, that's like science that's scientific basis that I learned in class like 2 weeks ago. So it's not I mean it's it's obviously it's different per person. So I mean for example it and basically how how my my teacher described it is you can be in better shape when you're 35 than when you were 28. What that basically means is that the peak physical fitness that you could be that you could possibly ever achieve in your life is at age 28. So it's theoretically possible for me sitting here right now in 10 years to be in better shape than I am right now, but I'm not I will not be in better shape than I possibly could have been at my best. And it's I mean it's the same thing from a from healing from a musculature or a skeletal standpoint. Your body after you hit 28 it doesn't reproduce Bone, muscle mass, all that stuff, as fast as it did when you were in your late twenties. So you're saying I'm just kind of rambling yeah, about the same thing right but, now, basically. So you're
1: saying I really need to get in shape now, like in the next year, otherwise I'll like have like regret and remorse. I
0: mean, I mean, no, but what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying, <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be, I'll I... if you if you plan on if you plan on running a marathon anytime in your future, it'll never be. Theoretically faster than it would be at age 28 I don't think my is what I'm kind of getting at I'm trying do you ever plan on running a marathon no I
1: turned 28 this year but my knees are like the equivalent of like a 45 year old's knees because that's what happens when you play uh, see I'm Cause, yeah I'm in the same boat I have genetically bad knees and
0: my left knee has been it's just been like grabbing at me all week and I'm kind of Afraid of what that means, but I refuse to get it looked at. Oh,
1: I've so I've done everything. At. I've done everything possible to add to my knees. I don't even have an ACL in my right knee anymore, and, and I play goalie, so that was uh, so. Any chance I have of ever running a marathon was probably has already been uh, has already been lost.
0: You might want to hit up whoever the stars got their hip group on from and see if they have any specials on uh, knee replacements. Uh,
1: yeah, I should. Yeah, two, maybe a two for one deal, like
0: yeah, there you go. I'm going to need both. So can I just buy one and get one free? Although one thing I don't think that I would ever cheap out on is a medical procedure, like you see those billboards, like, I mean, you don't, I don't see them here, but like in big cities, you see those billboards, like discount LASIK surgery. Now I'm like, I really feel like I would pay top dollar for LASIK surgery. So you don't, Cut my cornea out of my eye or something like that, and then I wake up and I'm like, "Why can't I see out of my right eye?" We, we oh, by the way, we screwed up.
1: We actually had that conversation with my wife when, when Christina got late my Christina got LASIK surgery last year or 18 months ago, and ended up going to one of the top guys and got it done and everything like that. But it's one of those where you you drive around and you hear on the ra- you hear the radio ads because you were listening because it was just something that was popping into my head a little bit more because she had gotten it. Where it'd be like, "Here, buy one, eye get get the other one done free." <laughs>
0: No, I'd actually rather pay for both, thank you. Yeah, is I'm like I'm ter- I, I would benefit hugely from LASIK because I'm, like I am not so like I I didn't realize how not blind I was until like there are these two two older dudes who come into ups every other Sunday and they're just, they're hilarious and it's a lot of fun talking to them and I'm like yeah I'm like minus three point seven five in my left eye and the other guy's like I'm minus twenty what does that mean I'm like oh so I guess I'm really not that blind. But like I can't drive, I can't operate a motor vehicle without corrective lenses in. Mm. So I just associated that as super blind. So I would benefit from that. But then I've seen like videos of the procedure, and I'm like, you're awake this whole time, and they're like scratching at your eyeballs, and that just would I would have a panic attack yeah
1: it's nothing i can deal with i mean i know i i have really good eyes and i know that if i'm to believe genetics my eyes will go bad at like 47 because like that's when my dad never wore glasses entire life until like his late his mid to late 40s and now he wears glasses so i know i have like 20 more years of good eyes and then i'll have to wear glasses right
0: and at that point it's like who cares because you're kind of older anyway so it's not like you really need them for anything Mm -hmm. well i mean you do but not at the you know yeah. what I mean? Speaking of... I'm afraid of genetics, too, because I just want to I, I want to die when I'm, like, 60 years old. I don't want to live until I'm, like, 85, and my dad's like, yeah, your uh, great-grandpa lived that long, and your grandpa's living that long. Uh, Sokoviacs have strong hearts. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it.
1: <laughs> Speaking of genetic disorders, and this is actually a really good segue. Yeah. Uh,
0: Oh damn, that yeah. was
1: nice. Matthias Janmark is uh, is practicing, and I had a story on him on uh, on Monday this week about he's working his way back from his genetic disorder, which is the uh, he's got osteochondritis dissecans, which I may have mispronounced that, but we'll call it OCD for short, not the OCD that has anything to do with your head, but it's a it's a genetic disorder. and We've talked about it before: a genetic disorder that uh, the blood flow basically stops the blood stops flowing to parts of your, your of your joints and bone can die and jo- joints can stop working. Um, he's about five to six months post surgery now and he's hopeful that he can play again next season and he's gotten some positive results from practice and such. Now, um, if he's back, that's a great boost for this team next year. If, he, if he's back at hundred percent, um, because he's a player they were really missing this year. I don't think a lot of people don't realize how much he, he, uh, masked over, uh, Jason Spezza's defensive deficiencies last year because he made it team. He, he allowed Jason Spezza to be much better since he actually cared about playing defense and Jason Spezza does not. Um, and, uh, ho- hopefully he's back next year. Um, and it's it's one of those where it's it's interesting because talking to him, it's it's very rare, and we've talked about it earlier in this podcast. We talked about this way back when he first diagnosed. It's very rare to have a hockey player deal with an injury where there's actually a twenty percent chance his career may be over.
0: That's true. I don't really know what to add yeah. to that. I mean, it would be obviously from a just a a roster. I mean, from a from a humanity standpoint, it would be great to see him back because obviously, I mean, what's he 24 years old? You'd hate to see a guy who has such promise and potential have their career cut short that early, but from a strictly roster perspective, he'd be a big addition to Dallas next year. And I mean, I mean, you mentioned it with the defensive covering up for defensive deficiencies of some of the centers. I mean, that was, he's not, I I wouldn't say he's the difference maker that makes this team no. a playoff team because now we're talking about you needing him needing to be like plus eight or nine wins above replacement level which i don't even know if i mean i think the only players who might even be within spitting distance of that are connor mcdavid brent burns and Sidney crosby mm-hmm. so i mean that's obviously i mean he doesn't make this team a playoff team but i mean he obviously he's a big piece to this puzzle and you add him to second, third, fourth line, wherever he slides in next year. Obviously, that's a big addition. And we discussed this either last week or two weeks or three weeks ago, I don't remember, in a group, a free agent group, that's not particularly deep at forwards. So you hear guys, you hear GMs talking about guys coming back from injury midseason being like a trade deadline acquisition. This would be like a pretty big free agent acquisition for Dallas, I would say.
1: And and it was was interesting talking to him about it because – he acknowledged, and if, if you're interested in reading the whole story on it, go back and read the story I wrote on Monday. It's actually a shameless plug here. It's under, it's part of the uh, subscription package at Wrong Side of the Red Line. Um, but the uh, he was talking quite a bit about how he's actually lucky for the timing it happened because this is something that's in his left knee. He dealt with, it happened in his right knee when he was 12 or 13 years old, but he just outgrew it because when you're 12 and 13, something happens like that and it's like a growing pain. You can just outgrow it. And then it happened to his left knee, though, and his knee was fully developed and he wasn't able to outgrow it. He was actually managing all of this pain last year, too, which puts even more of a testament to what his season was like last year when you consider that he was managing pain throughout the year. But he acknowledged, and we talked about how if he doesn't have this surgery last year, if he, if he has this, this problem and needs to have this surgery when he's still in Sweden or if he's a minor league player, obviously the Stars still do everything to help him get better but you're not getting the full throng of resources that he gets as a current NHL player. If this happens a year earlier, or if this happens even maybe in part of last season, his career may be over anyway. But now that he's had a full season, he'd look good in that one season, he now all of a sudden has an opportunity to uh, to get the full. The stars are throwing their full resources, at like getting him healthy, they're doing the best they can. And I'm not saying obviously, it's not that they would slight him if he was back in Sweden, but you don't give the same treatment to a prospect in Sweden who you never know is, what, is what's going to happen.
0: Right, and then they you also kind of look at that as the organization looks at it as well. It's, it's something that happened while he was playing with the Swedish team, so you got to deal mm-hmm. with it. And It's not that medical care in other places of the world isn't up to what it is in the U.S., mm-hmm. but I feel like this is something that I would trust a lot more if I was personally watching over it as opposed to getting secondhand information yeah. from doctors overseas. Well,
1: if and, and going back onto the ice, I mean, we talk about getting, you you used, I think that was a perfect example of getting Yamark back would be like a, a great free agent signing. Say you get him and you get, uh, and you get uh, uh, Nachushkin come back over. Say Nachushkin, you, you make another, you hire another coach or you hire another coach and Nachushkin decides to come back over. Those are two free agents. That's like two, boosts in free agency that that you that you probably might not even be able to fill those roles you probably won't be able to fill in free agency because it's not a deep it's not a deep class at forward in the in with the UFA's this year.
0: No, and I think obviously I mean we talked about Nichuskin with fact we talked about him a lot yeah. on this podcast and I think at this point it's still a little premature to say, Yeah, he's gonna come over come back over next year just because they got a new coach. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. I obviously getting a new coach mm-hmm. wouldn't hurt matters because I don't think him and Lindy saw mm-hmm. eye to eye, and I mean, I Lindy's one of those guys. I think you hear about coaches who are very apprehensive to play young kids, and I think he's kind of he kind of falls no, into that same so. the same vein. So. Al- so, I mean, getting a new coach would help, but I mean, maybe Val likes it in Russia and he likes his situation and he wants to stay for the duration of his contract. Who knows? I'm sure that. The way this year went, and especially when you look at a guy like Yuri Hoodler, who was brought in primarily to replace Val, how spectacularly that did not work out, maybe that incentivizes Jim Nill to get Val on the phone, get his agent on the phone, and be like, yo, come back. We need you. So, I don't know. I mean, it's something, it'll be certainly interesting to follow as the season goes Or On the flip progresses. side, actually,
1: and I was just thinking about this. It also becomes, this season becomes, and how poorly Yuri Hoodler and finding replacement worked out for the Stars, this becomes a really good negotiating chip for Val's agent.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you look at, you know, my client was on your team, you guys were a playoff team, and then he left, and you guys brought in some other guys who didn't work out. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. there's a lot more of it that goes into, which if I'm Jim Neal, I'm making the counterpoint of, yeah, well, we also were Mm -hmm. missing four of our top six forwards for the first month and a half of the season. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, You look at what my, my client wasn't playing to the best. He wasn't being used properly. He was still struggling coming back from hit surgery, blah, 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 and he still outperformed the guy that you brought in for him. Give us yeah. this amount
1: of money. Speaking of uh, new coaches, and we'll and we'll uh, kind of wrap up on this note today. There's I'm not sure. I don't want to put an odds on it, but. I keep getting the feeling the more I hear about it and the more I talk to people, I keep getting the feeling that the conversation with Ken Hitchcock will at least happen. And I'm not sure whether it will be, if he will actually be the coach of the team next year, but there's your Elliot Friedman had something about Hitchcock to Dallas the other day. I've heard other things as well. Um, it's one of those where there's certainly, uh, there's certainly, there's certainly kind of a where there's smoke, there's fire, um, feel to this right now. as in, And I'm not sure if that fire is him actually getting hired, but there is a certain, that conversation I would imagine, I would put 100% certainty that that conversation will certainly happen. Is Ken Hitchcock the right coach for this team next year?
0: It's like, a what's with this trend uh, that's happening in professional athletics nowadays that you rehire a coach that you previously fired? Like, I don't, I don't understand it whatsoever. Like, it's like being in a relationship with someone who you're really passionate with, and, but they're also insanely crazy, and you just don't want to deal with it, and then you break up for six months, and then you forget about all the crazy stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, we had some really good times together, and then you get back together, and you're like, oh, yeah, they smashed my windshield that one time. I don't... It's like... I mean, obviously... Hitchcock is a great coach. He won a Stanley Cup in Dallas. He had a long run of success in St. Louis, and I, he kind of got an unfair shake there. I mean, they couldn't get over the hump, and then he kind of got jerked around a little bit, and then this year you have Jake Allen, who you your GM basically anointed as the starter by trading away Brian Elliott, gets the yips halfway through the year and couldn't stop a beach ball if his life depended on it, and you get host for it, and then he gets fired, and then, oh, Jake Allen meets a kid with cancer and remembers how to play hockey again. Uh, That's a very cold and sadistic, sinister way of phrasing what just happened in this St. Louis season. But that's, I mean, he basically got fired because his goalie forgot how to stop a puck. And that's nothing that your coach can really deal with when it's mental like that. So, I mean, would it, would it be a bad marriage? I mean, I have said this in the past that I don't like, the type of system that Ken Hitchcock or Gerard Gallant runs, because I think it's boring. But if it wins you hockey games, then I mean, I guess go for it. But then you look at, I mean, I get worried about like, you look at the reason Tyler Sagan got ran out of Boston was because he doesn't backcheck and he doesn't fit our system, blah, blah, blah. And he's a guy who fits the system perfectly. And what happens when you bring Ken Hitchcock in and he's like Sagan, you need to go out there and get in the corners and back check and blah, blah, blah. Does Tyler Sagan be like, no, I'm going to go play somewhere else in three years. I I mean, granted, you take the greater good of the team over one player, I guess, but I'd argue that any team is better with Tyler Sagan on it. And I mean, this is, I just took about six leaps that didn't need to be taken. But I mean, that's how, this is the, the fear I get with these old school coaches who are defense first and back checking and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's technically sound, but it's boring and it isn't. Fun to watch. The
1: positive I do see with Hitch, with with if they hire Hitch, is the, um, well, for one, from a media standpoint, it's not. It will be nice to. It would actually be nice to talk to a coach on a daily basis that doesn't try to play games with us and is actually says like, oh, you know what, this is my starting goalie, or the, this guy's actually in the lineup, as opposed to Lindy Ruff, who will literally an hour and a half before the game if you if you talk to him before the game hour and a half before the game won't tell you the starting goalie is or will dance around other questions and, and thinks it's a game to not tell you who's in the lineup um, so on a media's perspective i'd actually enjoy dealing with hitch just from a perspective of actually talking to a coach who actually answers questions about uh, about his lineup and is willing to actually make it possible to write a game preview on the day of a game now the other positive i see with hitch coming in with the stars team is they become—I think it would do—I don't—and now, I see I, 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 I you have a very valid point with what it does for some of the forwards of this group and the Sagans of the world and how do they react. But I think it actually would help the defensive responsibility of some of these young defensemen. I think. I think a— John Klingberg will be better defensively under Ken Hitchcock. I think whoever, whatever group of defense you have next year, whether it's Alexiak, Johns, Lindell, whoever is here still after the summer shakeout, I think they're better defensively. The team gets better defensively under Hitch, and those players get better. Now...
0: Oh, yeah, but I mean, the only way that this team could get worse defensively is if you made me the head coach. Oh, come on. Like there's, we're like we are almost literally at rock bottom with this defensive group right now, and really the only way to go is up with it.
1: Yes, they're at rock bottom, but I don't think you could get them any further because you wouldn't tell you wouldn't tell your defenders on two on ones to slide and try and take out the guy making the pass.
0: That's true, and I also wouldn't base my lineup decisions on whether or not my goalie stood on his head and made forty saves. Be like, well, we won last game, so I guess you can continue to play, even though that. You got absolutely caved in possession numbers and were quite frankly awful.
1: So I don't, I mean, give yourself more credit here, Ryan. Come on.
0: <laughs> i I'm not going to lie. I would coach this team for a year for probably a quarter, not even a quarter, for a tenth of what they're going to pay the next coach. Save yourself some money, Tom. Let's have an experiment. This would be fun. Let me coach the AHL team at least.
1: That's another question that we, we may have a new AHL coach this summer too because the, uh, the the coaching the coaching contracts down the AHL are open as are end at the end of this season as well so we could see a full scale uh, re uh, not rebuild a full scale uh, staff change across either way the one thing they need to change across the coaching staff and I've written about this before and I think we've talked about it on the podcast if we haven't I'll say it again is either way. They need to have an AHL goalie coach next year. They need. To-
0: yeah, we've we definitely talked about it because I knew that's what you were going to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's that that is the biggest. Uh, I don't know if it's la- I'm not sure if it's lazy or an oversight. I mean, either way, they need to have somebody who, especially because we all we all think they're going to have a different starting goalie next season, and they should, and. Hopefully, whoever they bring in as the starting goalie next season is a guy who you can count on to be a starter for five, six years. Now, I want whoever that person... How- now, however, I want them... To- you-, you need them, not just want, as an organization, you need to develop a guy to be the ba- someone who can actually be a reliable backup in two years. And so you can have two goalies who are under 30 and actually have a tandem that works. Because um, I think Landon Bowe, for example, has a lot of the tools to be an NHL goalie. But is he going to get there without somebody working with him, without somebody working on his development? Who knows?
0: I don't know. Yeah. That's why I don't get paid to make these decisions. So no, I mean I agree with you. I don't. I mean, not having an AHL goalie coach just seems asinine to me because it's a position. I mean, you'd what a hundred thousand dollar year tops position, like a hotel, Canadian hotel tycoon can't find that in the budget somewhere (laughs) it doesn't make any sense to me
1: there's also so many there's also something there's also so many nhl x nhl goalies i know who are probably looking for jobs who are somewhat recently retired who would love to do it
0: right exactly like okay come on in help us out it makes no sense i don't know
1: it's well you know what we're gonna um one last note before we go um I know Patrick Sharp was nominated for the Masterton, and he would uh, he would be a he's a good he'd be a good candidate in a typical year. But we all know Craig Anderson will win the Masterton award, uh, because obviously, if if you're not familiar with that story, the Ottawa Senators goalie has missed what about 50 percent of the season while being with his wife who has cancer and has been lights out when he's been with the team. So. Uh, So Patrick Sharp could be, everyone's really in the Masterton voting, everyone's really playing for second place. And maybe Patrick Sharp could win second. It's not that they released that, but who cares? Right. So, well, good talk this week. We will uh, return next week in what uh, should be the final, uh, which will be the final podcast of the regular season.
0: Yeah, that's true because we'll have, that one and then if we do one well, i'm sure we'll do one the week after that it'll be after all the games have been played so we'll know exactly what the stars are, odds are of getting that number one overall pick come june yep,
1: we'll, ha- I th- we'll have we'll have to figure it out directly because i don't know if we'll stay weekly I, I think what we'll probably do once the season ends we may go to a once a month twice a month just just depending on the format just uh, we'll see what happens Anywho, everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, have a good week.